Hello, and welcome to the FT Advisor podcast. It's a tricky world out there for investors. Soaring inflation, rising interest rates, geopolitical uncertainty, and an ever-worsening cost-of-living crisis has led to crunch time for investment returns. Inflation has hit 9%, the highest level in 40 years. Interest rates are now at 1% and will most likely continue to rise this year. The end of the pandemic lockdowns has also seen a severe rotation away from the growth stocks that have dominated global equities in recent months and towards the value stocks that have done fairly poorly in comparison. So what should you be investing in and which funds should you be looking at? I'm Sally Hickey, a senior reporter here at FT Advisor, and with us this week are Sam Dovey, Head of Fund Research at Ravenscroft, and Ian Brady, Chief Investment Officer at WH Ireland. Thank you both for joining us. Hi. Hi. So first of all, Sam, can you tell us a bit uh, about some recent funds you've been keeping an eye on, either those you've added or some you've taken off your portfolios? Yes. Um, So for those that don't know, we're based in Guernsey. We do come over to London quite a lot. And um, over the last couple of weeks, we've been seeing uh, existing fund managers, uh, which we hold, um, and also a new product launch from Lazards, which actually goes to target inflation. So it's called... um, Global Thematic uh, Inflation Opportunities Fund. Um, it, it would be a new launch. And, and that was something really, we did say to them at the time, we said, oh my God, have you been listening to our conversations around our investment committee meetings? Because like we've obviously been talking about inflation. Um, so we've been speaking to them and we met with the fund manager last week and that all looks like, you know, very good um, from from what we're, we're seeing and, and what we're hoping. And that's to go live in the middle of June. Um, In regards to our existing um, fund managers, we have actually been asking them about the inflation question and what metrics they think hold their companies in good stead. So the quality, the low leverage, the high return on invested capital, you know, the ability to pass through those, you know, those inflation costs and the price elasticity of demand in regards to, you know, the products that they, they provide to the market. So we, we're just kind of like making sure that we're understanding what our fund managers are, are looking at and um, and that we're, we're positioned accordingly. Um, we do have a, a value manager, uh, as people would traditionally call them. We would just call them growth at a different time. Um, and this is run by a French man called Bertrand Cliquet, who's um, Lazar's global equity franchise. Uh, he doesn't own any energy or any bank stocks, so he's not that traditional cyclical type of value that you would see ordinarily. Um, but he's done exceptionally well since November 2020 and is up here today. And he's just, you know, helped balance. When you come to look at, you know, providing clients with solutions, you have to kind of like make sure that you've got all bases covered. So that that's the kind of thing that we've been looking at. Sure. And Ian, I'd put the same question to you. Okay, well, we've taken a slightly different view in that we now think whilst we might not be at peak CPI, we're certainly at peak CPI fear. So for the first time in many years, we bought the 10-year Treasury ETF from iShares. I've no bonds for a while. Um... And it's quite simple. Last year at this time, we bought Chinese long bond, which was yielding more than 1.5%, more than the US counterpart. Now, the US 10-year bond's yielding more than the Chinese 10-year bond. We don't think that's very rational. So, And continuing the theme of China, it's a, sort of, um, a market that people loved last year, and this year they love to hate. Um, and likewise, we have increased some allocation to China after 
selling in Q1 2021. We are doing this two ways. One is through Matthews China Smaller Companies. This is, by definition, a fund which focuses on growth themes within China, um, and especially themes which are supported by the government as China tries to become more independent of the West. So given the correction we've seen in China of late, this fund now has a prospective PE of under 10 and mid-teens compound earnings per share growth rate over the next three years. And at the other end of the spectrum, we've bought the iShares China large cap ETF. Again, given the concerns over China, we have seen the PE of that drop to 9.2 times. So that's what we've been doing recently. So on China, would you say that because they seem to have had their rate rise cycle almost 12 months, 18 months earlier than, than I guess, the West, are they almost kind of an inflation, he- an inflation hedge? Well, we completely agree that they're at a vastly different stage in the cycle. And in fact, they are now increasingly aggressively easing the latest round of measures announced yesterday I think amounted to 33 different points to um, accentuate growth. And that comes on the back of the rate cut last week, which was larger than expected. And how much does um, the regulatory issues that that came up last summer, how much does that concern you? Well, we found that quite baffling in that the Chinese government told investors in November 2020 that they were going to do it. And what happened over the next five months, Chinese equities went up in a straight line with those companies most exposed to the regulation outperforming. And then when the mooted regulation became reality, they subsequently collapsed. I think multiples have gone from something in the mid-40s down to the mid-teens. So that's why we are now interested. Both the valuation and unrealistic growth expectations have been taken out of the market. I see. So it's more of a case of people not quite listening to to what's going on. Yeah, I mean, there's a mantra, don't fight the Feds, and we would add to that, don't fight the PBOC and the Communist Party. Fair enough. (laughs) Um, Sam, just to come back to to what you said about um, the sort of risk of inflation, I'm wondering whether from a fund manager perspective, did they see this coming? You know, high inflation, interest rates going up. Has it gone higher than they're expected or have have fund managers and, and asset allocators allocated appropriately for what we're experiencing at the moment? So I think um, when we've... Ravenscroft as a house have always been global thematic investors that... Um, you know, have a fundamental outlook and that's what they want um, their fund managers. So they're bottom-up stock pickers and they naturally have a quality growth bias um, which have quite, um, you know, good metrics in terms of low leverage, return on invested capital uh, and things like that. So they would say naturally their funds or their underlying stocks should, you know, be able to pass through those inflation pressures that we see. Um, so so we've been able to do that. From a multi-asset perspective, um, we introduced um, what we would call the value exposure, but, you know, the growth at a different time exposure. Um, 
back in 2018. So we knew that I always view it as like oscillations on a screen. Everything should go from left to right, but they go at different times. So you have to, in a multi-manager world, you have to build a portfolio that will weather, you know, those, those oscillations. So you have to make sure that you build it correctly. I mean, like, we haven't held hedge funds or absolute return funds or anything like that since 2011. And, you know, we now recognise the fact, in fact, we've bought treasuries, you know, and tips and things like that, which we ordinarily we, we hadn't really ever bought before. So I think from a multi-manager perspective, you do have to then start thinking slightly outside of where you would have ordinarily kind of like sat so for us you know my md said nothing is off the table so you know i think in order to produce the right outcome for your for your client you have to look at everything that is available especially in this quite um difficult world we're facing at the moment we were talking to a fund manager today and he was saying what they're seeing is that the the macro is actually different to what the micro is telling them. And at the moment, it's the macro that is driving the market. And it's very difficult to navigate. So we just have to wait and see. Yeah. And on that point, I was going to ask you if you if how you sort of manage the fact that that although most funds hopefully have have geared up for something like this, going through these kind of fluctuations and these enormous geopolitical impact, you know, events, mm-hmm. big economic fluctuations, that must be quite hard to manage on a day-to-day level just to see everything go mad. Yeah, I mean, we have asked them about navigating this volatility. So um, we've said, like, I've been investing for quite a long time. And I said, the volatility that we've seen is reminiscent of 2008, but we haven't necessarily seen the massive down side of the market yet. Um, I think from a fundamental point of view, the um, you know the fund managers see that volatility as opportunity to buy stocks that maybe they haven't been able to you know buy previously because their valuation metric hadn't been hit so the quality was there but it was always you know too expensive so that re-rating has occurred so they've been able to go out shopping and buy things that maybe historically they would have loved to have done but the price was always too too high so I think you know. The volatility does give you opportunities and and it it enables you to take advantage of certain points. You know, some of our fund managers are probably running with a little bit more cash than what they have historically as well. So when we look through, you know, because we look at how we are positioned and then we do a look through on where our funds are positioned so we can assess our total cash like exposure and and it is running slightly higher than what it has done historically. So I think they too kind of like, especially in the run-up to here have been a little bit more cautious because of that high valuation metric. Yeah. But as you say, I guess it's all about your perspective and that there always are opportunities. God, yeah. <laughs> I'm always I'm always out for opportunities, right? It, it's, it's one of those things because two sides make a market. So, you know, and as long as you have a robust, repeatable investment process and the investment thesis on the companies that you're buying is still intact, then, you know, I use the analogy that if you like the coat at £100 and you've managed to buy it in the sale for 50 and it still does the job and it still fits, why wouldn't you buy it? Yeah. I have no argument against <laughs> Yeah, I love the coat at £50. <laughs> um, and Ian, to come to you, to look at a sort of asset allocation basis, where can investors find real returns at the moment? Where are they? Do they exist? <laughs> uh, yes, they always exist. Um one area of the market that we think is um, suffering from misperception is certain parts of the high yield market. As everyone knows, we've seen 
a blowout in spreads to about 190 basis points. And the part we especially like is the short duration part of high yield. Two funds there I was speaking to this week. One is the Royal London Short Duration High Yield Fund. We own that. Yep. Really good fund. Yeah, and uh, ever more attractive. Uh, <laughs> we have a yield now of almost 7%. And this fund has an excellent history over the long term of avoiding credit losses. And the beauty of short duration funds is that by their very nature, they're self-liquidating. This fund has a duration of less than four years, so it means roughly a quarter of the fund each year is redeemed because the bonds come due. So even if rates go higher, it means they have the opportunity to reinvest at higher interest rates. So to get something with an interest rate duration not much more than two years and get a credit duration of less than four years whilst earning 7% per annum just seems like a an incredible bargain to us. It's not going to be the best fund if bonds become very much in vogue, but if you want to garner 6 7% with a, over two or three years per annum with a reasonable degree of certainty, this seems like a, an ideal opportunity. And in a similar vein, we have the Schroeder Strategic Credit I own that Fund. Too. Hey, Honestly. you only need one of us here. <laughs> I know. No, but the, You've got like, plenty of yeah, Absolutely great <laughs> yeah. funds, right? Yeah. Azar is amazing. Peter is amazing. Yeah. Really, really good, like long track records done, done this job for many years. Yeah. And it's just, but the thing is, that's what Peter wants to do. Peter benchmarks himself as a cash plus. And again, it's one of these funds that if long duration assets are in, by definition, he has no chance of being top of the table. However, he wants to garner that excess above cash every single year. Well, every single cycle, rather. And Peter's the fund manager of the Schroeder's. For strategic mm. credit. He's been there many, many years. Yeah, he's. I think it's 2002 he's been running that. Yeah, he's Casanova, yeah. and then he came across the Schroeder's. Yeah. And that brings me on to my next point, which is in the time of you know hybrid working that everyone seems to have a slightly different interpretation of, how do you find this new way of working in your meetings with fund managers? How does it work for you? Well, initially, we get better access to both company managements and fund managers because you didn't have to travel. You just picked up the phone or went on a Zoom call. Uh, so I've actually enjoyed the um, combination of being at home. And um, as Sam said, you just get your head down, do research. No one bothers you. This is what I want to complete today. So this is what I will complete today. Whereas I like the three days in the office where we can share ideas and um, sort of cross-fertilise uh, what we're looking at. So yeah. I like the dual aspect. And Sam, I, I feel you have a different opinion. <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, we're in five days a week, right? We live on a lovely island in the middle of nowhere, essentially. Um, and yeah, so we work five days a week in the office. But like I said, if I have um, kind of like a lot of research, heavy lifting that needs to be done, then I work. will work from home and it's been very flexible. Um, in terms of over 2020, exactly the same as Ian, we had very, very good um, kind of like, you know, relationships with our fund managers. And the beauty of Zoom, actually allowed junior members of the team who necessarily wouldn't travel to kind of like join in on the call so for them it was great they could learn they could listen to the fund manager and you know and we're all keeping our carbon footprint down because we're all there and we're all in you know kind of like in it together so so from that point of view it's great but 
I've been back traveling now for about a month and I must admit, I do enjoy the face-to-face meetings. Uh, we've just launched a new product uh, called Ravenscroft Global Solutions and we've got a, a number of new funds of which we've done the DD on and we've had all the Zoom meetings, but actually we do need to meet those fund managers face-to-face. And we had two today and, you know, they didn't disappoint. They're exactly, you know, what we hope for and, and excellent stewards of our capital. So, but it, it's just that nice that feeling you get when you see somebody face to face rather than Zoom can sometimes be a little bit detached, but it did um, it did its job in a, in a very difficult time. Sure. Um, and one uh, question for you both. Uh, are there any, perhaps you won't want to name the funds, but any funds or specific sectors that you're just thinking is a no-go area for the next couple of years? First to you, Ian. I think, perhaps controversially, that several funds lost their discipline in the 19, but certainly 2020, when growth at any price was the only game in town. And several fund managers we met let slip over the course of the meeting that they had stocks in the portfolio they really didn't want to have, but they thought they had to have because there's such strong momentum that they didn't want to face. And I think if you just remember what happened in the market, is everyone talks about diversification and one needs diversification, and Sam's alluded to that. However, that's not what you needed in 2019, 2020. You needed your portfolio as concentrated as it possibly be in long-duration bonds in US and Chinese technology. And that was the only things making proper money. Where do you think that pressure was coming from? Um, well, I imagine it was coming from the sales and marketing department <laughs> and the uh, and the boards who were saying, why are we losing assets? Because we have a, a wide array of non-mega cap growth stocks in our portfolios and they're not doing anything. But, I mean, this is not unique. This is what happened in 1998 to 2000. And then what was... I hope a good indicator of the future is although we had the sort of severe bear market of 2000 to 2002, the median stock and the median fund was actually up over that period. It was just the indices that were down. Uh, and that's where all the sort of excess had been. And there's a little bit of that um, in the current environment, perhaps not as extreme as then, but certainly um, there's a lot more to come out. I think we are some way through the multiple contraction. What we're not all of the way through yet is instead of going from 30 times a dollar to 20 times a dollar, you suddenly find it's 20 times 80, 80 cents. And that's the last sort of down leg. Um, we're not there yet. I don't know when we'll be there. I think nobody knows when we're going to be there, right? Yeah, if we no. did. <laughs> you won't be here. <laughs> <laughs> that yeah. crystal ball. Yeah. Um, I was going to ask you, Ian, about... Uh, well, that thought was completely gone. I did have a question based on what you just said about 2000, cycles. 2002, large cap, small cap. Does it take... I'm thinking about the examples that we've seen recently of, you know, Bailey Gifford is the big one, also Nick Train not doing very well. And he said yeah. last week, you know, the worst thing I could do in, in a time of this fund not performing is change my um, strategy. Do you think that takes an almost... Uh, specific character to be able to hold on during those times and to hold on to, you know, the crashes? Yeah, I mean, I have to, well, I didn't have to, but I used to give a talk to Reading University students who wanted to go into the um, financial services industry. 
and I gave them a presentation of what life as a fund manager is like. And actually, I used a quote from Bailey Gifford from 2010, and they did this study that said over half of all top quartile fund managers over a decade had one three-year period in the bottom quartile. And the reason that they still managed to become top quartile investors over the decade is exactly to your point. They stuck to their knitting. And I alluded to something earlier about style drift. There are very few institutions, and quite often it's the institution rather than the individual manager, who stick with a style through a tough time. Very few institutions and very few individuals. I think Bailey Gifford are one who will stick to what they believe in, even if that... Uh, involves a significant amount of time out of fashion. Yeah, and everyone loves to uh, to jump on them as they've done so badly, but they seem to be sticking to their guns as, um, as yeah, we can tell. Yeah, it's how they invest, yeah. And Sam, can you do you think you can tell that when you meet a fund manager? How quickly can you work out how much they'll be able to hold on in a bad period? Or is it more, as Ian said, is it more to do with the institution around them and the pressure they'll feel? So I think f- from my point of view, it... There's a difference between being dogmatic and pragmatic. Uh, And, um, you know, one of our sayings that Ravenscroft is stick to your knitting. But then we also have to be pragmatic and we started to look maybe at areas that we haven't looked at since 2011. You know, so I think you have to be mindful of the world in which you're, you know, you're investing in. And even if it turns out that we don't decide to buy, you know, an absolute return fund at least we would have done the work we would have done the due diligence and then we would have known why we haven't done something or or we have done something so I think you know everybody is still learning and and this is you know nothing is ever the same like it won't be like 2000 to 2002 or 2020 or you know and it's 70s with inflation but you know we're all trying to to get through you know the what is happening right now and it just means that we have to kind of like search a little bit harder think a little bit more outside the box um it's great it gives you an opportunity to look at all different types of stuff that maybe you know investors haven't looked at before but yes i mean as long as you know that the the funds that you're buying are are pretty much doing what they're supposed to do then you know and and that's the message that we've been having back from the fund manager meetings that we've had most recently you know buying the opportunities they're still looking for that quality low leverage return on invested capital you know everything that we've bought them to do then it's us as a multi-manager to kind of like tweak around the edges yeah so it does what it says on the tin yeah effectively well it's a ron seal moment (laughs) and what moment a ron seal moment what's a ron seal moment do you know like the things that you paint the fences with the varnish oh no yeah i've not heard ron seal I don't have. I've only recently acquired a fence, oh, which is well, a funny orange colour. So I'll, I'll, I'll ask have a your recommendations. Yeah, it does what it says on an old advert. Like I'm talking maybe eighties, right? Okay, at least yeah. Yeah, YouTube. I'll give it a go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's all we've got time for today. Uh, Sam and Ian, thank you for your comments and for speaking to FT Advisor, and thank you for listening. We'll be back next week. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has experienced teams who can craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex. 
Real wealth requires real solutions. Connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's Coriant.com. Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new edition of the Capital Ideas Podcast. In unscripted conversations with investment professionals, you'll hear real stories about successes and lessons learned, informed by decades of investment experience. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. New episodes are available monthly. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes in an episode today. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc.